Sunday uh, in the month, we often have uh, a moment where we reflect on the kingdom of God in the world and how uh, when we are not in worship, not in church, we may detect uh, something of God's uh, redeeming and healing love around. And we've begun this kind of process by inviting people whom in some ways we are in partnership with, who, uh, who we have worked with or accommodated and hosted along the way. So we've had two or three of those. And today, uh, Sue Kentinsburg is here to uh, speak to us on um, special guardianship, which is something I never knew anything about until they turned up. Uh, and it's been a great joy to uh, see them at work in this place, which they do, uh, well, we'll find out in a minute. So Sue, do come. Get your notes and hold that to your mouth. And so, Sue, who are you, first of all? In your, Are you an organisation? Um, you tell that closer. Sort to. of like an organisation. Um, I'm a co-founder with my friend Dawn um, of the SGO Hub, which is run here on the uh, last Saturday of every month. SGO? SGO, which means Special Guardianship Order. Okay. I don't know how many of you have come across Special Guardianship Order. Um, it's an order that's granted by the courts through a very long process and very tedious, just making sure that we're all capable of looking after the children we entrusted with. Um, it's, so could you tell us how that works? Who are the children you're entrusted with? They, they come to us because their mothers, fathers are unable to look after them. Um, sometimes it's because of drugs, alcohol... Um, parent could have died, illness. There's all sorts of reasons why these children can't live with their parents. Um, generally, it's grandparents who take on the role. Sometimes it's friends, as I am. I was a friend of the father of the child that I look after. Um, sometimes it's ex-foster carers. Um, but it's different from fostering and different from very adoption. Very different, very different from fostering. Um, we don't get the funding that fosterers do. <laughs> For one, okay. it's taken on because you love the children and you want to look after them, basically. Okay. But the idea is that it keeps them within that It keeps them within group. the family network. Right. And as far as possible, the contact still remains with the birth parents. Um, sometimes that breaks down for whatever reason, but generally we try to keep some sort of contact with the birth parents. Right, so you run a hub, and how is this hub connected with Meatgate Church? Um, kindly, the vicar has allowed us to use some of the rooms. Social services give a small donation to the right. church for doing so, um, but everything else is funded by my friend Dawn and myself. Um, <coughs> We go begging to various community-based places and shops, asking for small donations so that we can provide tea and coffee and biscuits and playtime for the children. Um, lots of craft things we do, face painting, all sorts of things. I think you can see. Yes, so expand a bit. Yes, they're up here, aren't they? Expand a bit more on what, what you're doing every when you come. Um, every time we come, we meet with other parents or guardians, should I say, and their children that they look after. It's a safe place because there's no professionals there, so they can talk openly about the difficulties and things that, that are going on in their lives. The children have a unique connection because they've all gone through similar experiences. Um, so they play wonderfully together. You can see on the screen, do loads and loads of craft things. We've got the tree that we've been building. 
Um, so they, they, it's a real sense of belonging. They all belong on this tree and they all put their name on and, and things like that. Um, Where do they all come from? All over the place. Um, we have people come from Clacton, Colchester, oh. Chelmsford, all, all sorts of places. How many? Um, it varies. Sometimes there's only a few. Sometimes we have 20, 30 children <laughs> running right. around. Um, and they're guardians, obviously. But we can also signpost. Dawn and I have done lots of research and we're quite knowledgeable because we've been doing it some time now. So we're able to signpost the newer people that come into special guardianship because it is a bit of a minefield. There's so many things that can go wrong. So we're able to signpost to other agencies where they can offer specialised advice and support. So who, who then, are we talking this in the church about the kingdom of God being where there's blessing and benefit and so on? So who is it that... Who is it that you benefit and what kind of benefits come out of the work you're doing? I think probably the children who are under the guardianship order and the guardians themselves because they have a safe place where they can all join together and ex express themselves, enjoy and, and share that experience that they've all been through. Mm. Have you noticed a difference? This is, a, this is not a fair question, but have you noticed a difference <laughs> since when you've started to how it is now with the children? Yes, yeah, they, they love coming. Um, as I say, they've got a unique bond because they've all been through similar situations, not the same, obviously, everything's different, but they've got a unique bond and they just love playing together. Mm. And the adults as well have got a great bond. And we find now, Dawn and I especially, that if a guardian is going through something really difficult, they'll often be on the phone to us. Right. So we're not just there on that Saturday, on the we're Saturday. there... 24-7. So, and quite often some of these children come to the guardians with nothing, and I mean nothing. Um, I know somebody who had two children dropped off to her um, wearing nappy and by the police um, and an old T-shirt that was they found laying around in the police station that was second-hand property. Mm. So these people have to go out and buy prams, pushchairs, cots, clothes, everything. So we're there on hand if they are desperate and they need something. Quite often we've got a bit of a bank for those people to come and say, can we have? And, and when you started that, did you realise that that's the way it would go? We hoped that's okay. the way it would go. Right, we good. wanted to be there and share so, and help everybody that we could. Yeah. So what are the challenges then that you face as an organisation? That's the last question. The challenges that you face. Funding. Is okay, the as always, yes. The social services are happy to pay for rooms, but that's as far as it goes. So anything else that we use, um, Dawn and I provide either ourselves or, as I say, we go back into various shops and community-based mm. people to try and get little donations. Right. So. Well, can we pray for you? Please, would that be that'd all right? be wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you. I'll take that off you so Thank that it doesn't... Uh, don't, stay here, stay here. Father, we do thank you for Sue and for Mandy and their vision in setting up this group, this support group for the children and those into whose care they are entrusted. And we hear of the wonderful things they're doing in providing emotional support for the children as they're here together and for their carers throughout the week as they uh, keep in contact, seek advice and, uh, and encouragement. 
We pray for them in the days that they come to this building, their special Saturdays, that they should be places of joy and life and your protection be over them. And Lord, as we look at our money today and thank you for your provision for us, may we also see your provision for the special guardianship group that you would know about them and that you would bless their offering for the good of all those children and those who have taken their care to their heart. Bless them, we pray, Father, for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. The reading this morning is taken from 1 Chronicles 29, 6-14, and is on page number 433 of the Church Bible. Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave towards the work on the temple of God, 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willingness response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatest, and the power, and the glory, and the majesty, and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honour come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Amen. Our New Testament reading is found on page 1175 of your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 4, starting to read at verse 1, 1175. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, 
who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who has descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we, will be no lo- sorry. then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by the wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their de- deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth of love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, head. That is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would teach us again of the practicality of our faith, what is a true expression that you are the giving God making us a giving people. May my words accord with your word and our hearts be joyously open to your will. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Well, several years ago, a lot of years ago now, actually, when my children were young, there was an interesting conversation that broke out around the dining table. Uh, My young elder daughter, Lydia, asked for someone to pass her the tomato sauce. I wonder if you could uh, move that on, Godfrey, for me. There it is. (laughs) And it was a... uh, uh, She said, I do like my tomato sauce. And with a very practical thought, my younger daughter, Evie... Uh, she said, uh, well, it's mummy's tomato sauce. She's the one who buys it from the shop. And with a somewhat selfish and probably sexist thought, I said, and who's the one who earns the money to give mummy (laughs) to buy the tomato sauce? It's my tomato sauce. Well, they said, with a somewhat nobler thought, if you're going to be like that about it, it's the bishop's tomato sauce. (laughs) And I began to see where this was leading. (laughs) And with a mighty thought, we decided that it was the Archbishop's tomato sauce because he gave the money to the bishop to give to me to give to mummy to buy the tomato sauce. And then, with a a royal thought, somebody said, no, it's the Queen's. Uh, tomato sauce, because she digs up the gold to give to the bishop, to give the money to me, to give to mummy. 
And then, with a holy thought, of course, we decided that it was God's tomato sauce because he put the gold in the ground for the queen to give up, to dig up, to give to the archbishop who gives it to the bishop who gave it to me, who gives it to mummy, who buys the tomato sauce for Lydia to put it on her dinner. Such is the miracle of the dining table that something as humble as the tomato sauce can bring us to the very throne room of God. And King David, the great golden king of the ages of over Israel, saw this truth when he stood before this great collection they'd had to build the temple of, Jer of Jerusalem. And he praised God in all his glory. He said, Yours, Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the majesty, the splendor. And then, as if shocked by the realization of what he said, he's humbled and says, Everything comes from you, and we've only given what comes from your hand. And of course, these are words in some form, if, you, if you're uh, familiar with the Church of England uh, communion service, these are words that we often use as we take up the offertory, yours, Lord, is the greatness, and so on, in the communion service. And we acknowledge that all we have does really not belong to us, but it's given to us in the first place by God, and that we have a responsibility as God's people to see that we use what he gives us, our money, in the furthering of his kingdom on earth. And to further it, both in our own lives, we shouldn't neglect our families, but also in the wider community. God's people using God's gifts for God's purposes. And David's first response was to see that the giving of the people was a spiritual happening. It's about the spiritual things. We could have a million pounds in the bank and I would still be teaching these things on a regular basis. See, they were moved by God. We're told in verse 9 of, uh, of uh, 1 Corinthians that they freely and wholeheartedly gave to the Lord and the people rejoiced over that giving to the Lord. They didn't give to the temple and they didn't give to the king, like, I don't want you to give to the church. They gave to the Lord. God was to be praised because he had provided and he had worked through his people. Now, so this comes really by way of introduction to this sermon uh, this week and the sermon by the same name next week uh, on the generosity of giving. Uh, the listening and reflecting through the week is important because before ever we get round to talking about how much, we need to begin like King David to see it in the spiritual uh, sense. Our, our archdeacon speaks of uh, the wider issues of the church saying we don't have a financial crisis, we have a spiritual crisis in the church the church is losing the sense of the joy of giving. It's losing its vision for the ministry which the church is here to do. So we give, consider this week our giving as an affair of the heart 
the spiritual matter in which we grow together as God's people. And you have your little booklet, which has been given to you for you to work through in the week, just some spiritual reflections and exercises that day by day you may spend a moment thinking about our giving as a spiritual matter. The verses that really God has led me to to speak on is not perhaps primarily about giving, but the issue of giving can be drawn straight from the text, I think, in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul is speaking about the church as a unity and how God gives gifts in order to build up the church and to develop the life of the church together. So let's first of all... Oh, where have we gone? Hmm. I've missed out a slide. Oh no, I've run over a slide. I forgot to show it to you. There we are. Let's think first of all about giving as a, as a measure of our unity. This comes in verses 3 to 6, where Paul uses the word one three times to speak of the three persons of the Trinity, one Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father, uh, and four times to speak of our experience in relation to the, uh, the three persons of the Trinity. Firstly, he says that there is one body because there's one spirit. He says it there in verse 3. There's one body and one spirit. The body is the church, the body of Christ, comprising of all who believe in him. And that body is held together by the spirit who gives it a unity, even in its many differences. The spirit gives us the common life. None of us are separate from each other because we are joined together by the Spirit. The same Spirit living in me lives in you. We are organically connected. And secondly, he says, there's one faith and one hope, one baptism, because there is one Lord, there in verse 4 and 5. For the Lord Jesus is the object of our faith, the source of hope, the one we were baptized into. It's the definition of all Christians who believe in Christ that they are baptized into him and await him with expectant hope. And thirdly, it says we are one family because there is one God and Father of all. In verse 6, he's above all and in all. He's made us the household. We are his family we are his redeemed children. So the Father creates the family. The one Lord, Jesus, creates one faith and hope. And one spirit creates one body. See how deeply together we are. Bound together. The together people. And so when we consider giving in this light, we discover that there's a profound sense of corporateness interrelatedness, this unity of independence on each other that we can't shy away from. And one way the Church of England expressed this is uh, in what we call the parish share, 
we distribute funds uh, across the diocese, covers ministry costs, not only in our church, but on a wider basis. It's that dollop of money that we pass over to the diocese. It pays for me, but also for much more. It's where churches with special projects or particular needs can receive money to help them in what they're doing. And indeed, we ourselves here in the whole Orchards Project have benefited from that kind of sharing out of the wealth across the churches. And as it happens in these days, uh, the diocese is making a transition in the way that parish share is made. Uh, in the past, it came in the form of a bill, which we, we paid uh, week, month by month to the diocese. We were told what our share was, and we paid it. But it wasn't all that clear from the, uh, the way that came, what was the ministry cost of our church, and what was ministry costs elsewhere? The cost of the, having the vicar and housing them was what is uh, applicable to the church, but we didn't quite know what was applicable to other things. Well, now churches or groups of churches are being asked to cover their ministry costs and then make a donation, a generous donation, to the ministry support fund, that common fund that helps others and to which churches can make bids for support. Now, as it happens, Meadgate Church doesn't meet its full ministry costs. Uh, we do meet what we're asked to pay. We've always met that. But actually, what we're asked to pay doesn't cover everything that we cost to the diocese. Even we are subsidised by monies that comes from the Central Church of England. Now, the problem is that over the next five years, that money that comes from the Central Church of England to this diocese is diminishing down to zero. And the actual cost of having your ministry here, which is your vicar and everything that goes with it, is about 80,000. Our share up to now, is about 64,000. But I'll give you that to think about. Now, we could take a subscription view of our giving. If you were a member of the golf club, or the flower club, or uh, the cameo ladies club, whatever you would are part of, you would kind of expect to pay a subscription. I'd give you the ticket as you came in, like the bus conductor. Cha-ching! And if I were to take such a view of our giving, uh, well, it would be about £20.41 pence a head per week. 108 of us on the electoral roll into the 114,600 or so. That is our annual budget. £20.41. Well, not everyone can afford £20.41 per week. So our giving has got to be done on a different basis. That's an inadequate measure by doing it by subscription when it comes to the church. Giving is more than that. We are one. We are more than a group of people who share a common interest. We are more than a community. 
We are a body. We share one faith. We are the family of the Father who is Lord of all. So in giving, it's not that so much as we give to the church or even that we give to God, though we do, that's a prime motivation, but really, when we give, we give to ourselves. What we give is for the benefit of ourselves as the body of Christ or as the well-being of our family, for our own health and nourishment. And the whole thrust of these verses is that the gifts that are given are for the, uh, given by God to build up the body so that the whole body grows and is built up in love. And our gifts, our finances, do the same. So, giving is a measure of our unity. Giving is also a measure of our grace, the amount of grace that we have, that we have received. Because another reason that the subscription view is inadequate is that there is no charge for you to be here. It's free. No subscription to be paid. It's a gift. This is the best gift of the week. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportions it, verse 7 says. And if we've received grace, then what we do, it can't be a payment, but it can be a response to grace. So it won't be a duty, it will be a joy. Do something you love, is my little under-strap line. Do something you love. It becomes natural that we should love to be giving people. It won't be a duty. It's a joy, because grace, you see, leads on to grace. A giving God by grace makes us a giving people. Otherwise we'll find we may not have received grace at all. In the gospel, Jesus tells us that the one who loves much will be the one who has been forgiven much. The one who gives much is the one who has that deep inner sense of having been given much. All that comes from God is given back to God. And our God is the giving God. He gave us Christ Jesus. He gave us his spirit. He gives of himself so that we may in some measure fulfill our purpose of becoming like him, becoming like Jesus. Verses 11 to 13 tells us of the gifts that God gives to build up the body so that we might attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God is a giving God, working to make you a giving person. So when we're able to see ourselves joyfully, freely giving, we can see in ourselves the measure of grace that we have received. We can see how much it has changed our hearts. And in Meadgate Church, there is much evidence of grace abounding. There are some very generous people in this church. How does £249,000 translate into 380 that is given into our common fund? 249000 that was pledged then became 380. There is grace flowing in this place. 
But Malcolm tells us that the money coming here is from uh, those who are of a certain age. The high end is where the money is coming from. As if, as if we've kind of misheard what was said. It's not the grace of giving. It's the grace of giving. <laughs> I was up all night thinking about that. <laughs> now why is it? Why is it that the greys are giving? Is it because we've got more older people and less young people, as uh, Paul suggested? And that's probably one of the reasons that may make us think about the issues of our mission. Or is it because we haven't taught these things so well enough and early enough? Is it that young people don't think that sacrificial giving applies to them? I have to say that when my daughter, when she was young, had uh, 30 pounds, there was a chance that she would have given her 10% when she thought 10% was 30p. <laughs> when she discovered it was three quid... Or is it that there are areas of life that we don't really want to let God into? It takes a while for him to unlock the piggy bank and the standing order. We seek cheap grace, all the benefits that Christ affords without the cost of becoming like him in response. These are all questions that I can't answer and only you can for yourselves. But it is a measure of the grace we have received. Thirdly, giving is a measure of our maturity. Because I know that such talk about uh, giving can stir up feelings and reactions in us. Uh, probably not so much in this church, although there may be some, but certainly in other churches that I've been in, speaking about giving can make people quite angry. We get all sorts of uh, um, reactions because people feel criticized and attacked. And if you feel that I'm getting at you, well, I'm not. This is uh, for all of us. And I am as deeply challenged as anybody else about the issues of my giving. I'm doubly uh, uncomfortable with giving. I'm uncomfortable with it because I always feel I'm giving more than I want to. But I'm also uncomfortable with it because I also know there is more to give. I haven't got the fullness of grace yet. So I'm doubly uncomfortable about it. It's for all of us. And it's a lifelong journey of giving. But our ability to take these things to heart is a measure of how we are growing in faith. If we make the contents of our wallet and our bank account our security then we can never know how faith steadies us in the chances and the changes of life. Paul writes there in verse 14, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind. Instead, we will grow up into him, it says, 
and a little later on in verse uh, 15. Instead, speaking the truth with love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. It's about maturity. Now, some people in Meadgate Church, especially in the wider Meadgate Church during the week, don't really have enough money to live on. And others, well, we might not call ourselves what you'd say is rich, we are doing, uh, we're a little more well off. But there's no shame in not having enough. And there's no merit in having all that you need or more. What is of value, whether you have a little or a lot, is that you're able to find your security in Christ Jesus. And invariably, those who have found their security in Christ are the ones who hold lightest to their material wealth. They've come to terms better with their giving. As someone once said, giving is what you do after you've said, I believe. Giving is what you do after you've said, I believe. See, in the end, it's all about discovering that what we need, we already have. It's about discovering that we have the resources amongst the body, in the family, to put our faith into action. That even now, we can be a body unified in purpose and practice. We can live out the grace of God amongst us and we can grow in the maturity of faith as we trust in him to provide. And no doubt, after this morning, you'll be left with questions. What proportion should I give? What about giving to other organisations? What about people with responsibilities to former spouses, to dependent children? What about people on low incomes or those whose spouses are not believers All of those and more are important questions. And my intention is next week when we come back that we can address address them in some way or other. In fact, we might even put God to the test next week and see the outcome he gives us. Let's pray. We have declared our faith today, Father. And so we pray you help us this week to put it into practice. To turn our mind for the week to considering our giving and to make our response to you. For you are the Lord. From your hand all things come and of your own do we give you. Amen.